dismissed. You may be seated. Good morning. So, so this morning we're going to look at a, uh, a passage that carries on the thought from John 15. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, Brother Glenn preaching for us last week and uh, reminding us of the suffering that comes for the gospel. And as we continue in John 15 this morning, that's exactly what we're going to see. But before uh, we get going in the text, I want us to pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray even now that you would bring the work of declaring the truth, bringing it to remembrance, bringing conviction, all of those things this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and grace and mercy. It's in Christ's name, amen. So I'm a guy that has had many jobs. If you uh, saw my resume, you'd probably be like, does this guy stay around more than a year and a half or two years? And what it was is I became a teacher and I was jumping around to, to different jobs just trying to find a good fit. But over the years of having different jobs, one thing I've noticed is that uh, some jobs have been good and some jobs have been really bad. And for the really bad jobs, I think if I had known how tough they were going to be when I came in, I probably would have gone somewhere else or at least been prepared for what I was going to face. And I think that some employers, uh, they either sugarcoat or they, they don't fully lay out what everyday life is going to look like. Maybe it's because we don't ask or maybe it's because they just don't know. But the one thing I'll say is that Jesus doesn't sugarcoat for the Christian what is to come. And what he's laying out in this passage and in, in the text is that there will be tough times ahead for believers. And as American Christians, we're so used to prosperity. We're so used to things being well. I've talked to people and they've said it's easy and maybe even more beneficial in our area to be a Christian than not. However, Jesus says there will be tough days ahead. And we may actually be walking into those tough days as we speak. And, and what Jesus reminds us in this text is that we are prone to fall away in the face of persecution. We're prone to fall away, but God is enough to get us through our trials. Jesus is here for us. He is here with us to get us through our trials. We need to abide by the Holy Spirit if we want to get through days of persecution and suffering. And so our main point this morning is that the Holy Spirit works through us and he works for us as God's witnesses, even during persecution. The Holy Spirit works through us, and he works for us as Christ's witnesses, even in the face of persecution. And so the first thing we see in chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, we see that we are Christ's witnesses. We are Christ's witnesses. Jesus says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So he's speaking uh, of the, the Holy Spirit first, bearing witness about Jesus. He, he calls him the helper, which has been discussed previously in John, but uh, we're going to go deeper in that in just a few moments. But he speaks of the helper coming. He says, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. 
Jesus says, when the, the helper comes, I'm going to send him. He says, when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. The helper, the Holy Spirit, he, he is from the Father in the sense that God will send him out. But he's also, he proceeds, he comes out of, he is sent from the Father in the sense that he is one with the Father. The Holy Spirit is eternally the, the God. He is deity. He is one with God. In the beginning, we see him. And so what Jesus is laying out here is the spirit of truth, the helper who comes from God, who is God, who is sent on the mission of God, will replace Jesus's presence on earth. He will be to us the spirit of Christ with us. When Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, the Holy Spirit will be the presence of Christ. When he comes, he will bear witness of Jesus. And what better way to bear witness than for someone who has been in eternal fellowship to come and let us know who Jesus is. And that's one of the main works of the Holy Spirit among us. We abide through the Spirit. He bears witness to the Spirit in us. He shows us the truth about who Jesus is. And we see that. And then we see also verse 27, and also you, Jesus talking to the disciples, you also will bear witness and then notice what he says, you've been with me from the beginning. Now, we don't believe that he means from the beginning of time. The Spirit was with him from the beginning of time. But his disciples have been with him from the beginning of his ministry when he called them and said, walk with me and follow me. Become fishers of men. So in Matthew 16, verse 7, Peter says this truth about Jesus, who he is. And, and Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You learned this from my Father because the Holy Spirit, the, the Father gave them this knowledge through the power of the Spirit. And so when we believe the truth of the disciples, it's because they first received it from God. The Father opened their eyes to see the truth, and then they preached it and they wrote about it. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You also will bear witness about me. And then for us, they passed down that teaching, that truth, and that mission to us. We often hear the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, but Acts 1-8 uses this terminology, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He says that to his disciples, and he tells them to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to also be on the same mission. And so what I want to remind you, what this text is going to remind us is that one of the chief activities of Christians is to bear witness about Jesus. One of the chief activities of being a Christian is to bear witness about Jesus. We often view Christianity as showing up somewhere to learn something. To, to learn the Bible, to study the Bible, to have a devotional life. Those are great, great things. But one of our primary activities is to be on the mission of God. It, it's why we have this call to go and be hospitable to our community. It's so doors will be opened up for us to be witnesses and to share about Jesus. When we read the book of Acts, it's the story of the church going forward to bear witness about Jesus. So one of our main activities is to bear witness. And that's scary, that's difficult, that's awkward, that's uncomfortable. 
But notice, we're not left alone in this witness. The Spirit goes before us. The Spirit goes with us as we are Christ's witnesses. And he is another helper, Jesus says. He goes before and among us to bear witness to the world about Jesus. In other words, when you share the gospel, a heart that's ready to receive the gospel has been tilled and prepared and made ready by the Holy Spirit. In fact, when people respond to the gospel, they have to respond from a new heart in order to respond faithfully. And Ezekiel tells us that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So as we go out as Christ's witnesses, we're not going out alone. We're not going out as people in our own power and our own strength. We go forward in the power of the Spirit. So Jesus wants to prepare us for this witnessing. And what we're going to see is that this witness is costly. Look with me at 16 verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. To keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. When whoever kills you, he will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. When suffering comes, we all have two choices. We either fall away or we stand firm. And Jesus says here, I am telling you these things so that you will not fall away. He's not sugarcoating the Christian life so that suffering comes by surprise. Peter says, don't think it a strange thing that is happening to you. No, we are prepared. And if Jesus hadn't prepared us, it would be a lot easier to just fall away. I didn't sign up for this, but Jesus says, count the cost. I'm preparing you. I remember in high school, uh, the worst week of the summer was the week that dead period was over. It was a football camp, as they called it. Two-a-days, we had practice first thing in the morning. Then we got to rest between practices where uh, a lot of times we just stayed at the football house and took a nap. And then we had the evening practice. And then at the end of the, the camp week, at midnight, we put on our pads, we geared up, and we destroyed each other in the middle of the night. As a 150-pound, 5'10 little guy that was on the scout team, I had to prepare myself for football camp because it was the worst week of my life because it meant football is starting for the next couple of months. But, but what Jesus is doing here is he's preparing us. He's saying, unlike this, this little 150-pound guy that's about to get destroyed by these linebackers, I'm letting you know that it's coming and you're going to survive it. You're going to get through this. You're going to make it. And, and why is he telling us this? Why? Because listen to how intense this persecution will be. Number one, there will be removal from the synagogue. Now, as Americans, we think, oh, big deal. They kick you out of the church. You go find another one. But in the Jewish world, in the Jewish mind of these days, in the synagogue, it was not only religious, but it was the cultural center. It's where you could be fully Jewish. It was the community center. It's where all the Jewish people were. So to be removed from the synagogue meant a piece of your identity, a piece of your culture, a piece of who you are is ripped away from you. And what Jesus is saying is, you're Jewish Christians now. 
Just as they rejected me, as we saw in John 1, if you, if you flip through John 1, you'll see that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He's saying, as they didn't receive me, they will not receive you. And if that's not intense enough, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you, he says to his disciples. And when they kill you, they're going to do it out of religious, religiosity, out of religion. When they kill you, they're going to think they're offering service to God. And when we think of that word service, don't think of a worship service where you come and participate. It's service in the sense of worship. Like we are worshiping God. We're doing the right thing by wiping you off the face of the earth. That's what the opposition to the early church believed. And there are people today and other religions who still believe they are offering service to their God to persecute us. And, and it wasn't just the, the Jewish persecution. Even the, the, God, the people who worshipped Artemis wanted to kill the Christians because they came and disrupted false religion. They thought they were doing it for their God. And yet, despite their claims, it's all wrong. It's all evil. It's all wicked. And Jesus says in verse 4, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Now why? Why would they do all this? They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. No knowledge of Jesus means no knowledge of the Father, no knowledge of God, and that equals hatred for God's people. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Whoever would come to the Father must come through me. If you try to go around Jesus to the Father, you're going to hate him and you're going to hate his people. And you're not going to find the Father. So my question this morning to every person in this room, do you know Jesus? Are you abiding in Christ? Is Christ living in you? He is the only way to the Father. He's the only way we get to heaven. He's the only way for us to know God. He's the only way for us to have a relationship with God. Do you know him? Notice what Jesus says. He does not say they will do these things because they have wrong theology. He doesn't say they will do these things to you because they're more religious than you. He says they will do these things to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Do you know God? Do you know God? And if you don't know him, he is willing to get to know you. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you call upon the name of Jesus, if you trust and believe that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended, you can be saved. You can know and be known by God. And then you will no longer be an enemy to his people. Through faith, he can be for you rather than against you. And for you believers in the room, you can be confident. The disciples were prepared, and so are we. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelt in the disciples, dwells in us, and will keep us from falling. We have these words written for us to remember. We have the disciples' examples. We have church history. When their hour came, they stood firm. And in Christ Jesus, we too, church, can stand firm. We can stand firm when our culture tells us we're hateful bigots. 
when the culture tells us that we're wrong because we stand up for human life, we can stand firm in the face of their harshest words and criticisms. We can stand firm if someone tries to blow this place up because Jesus is with us. And even if the world tries to kill us because their religion says we're wrong and we deserve to die, Jesus told us it was coming so we would not fall away and so that we would remember all of these things. I was uh, at the Civil Rights Museum this week um, and just thinking, would I have been able to stand firm like that? Would I have been able to survive the persecution, the hatred, the death threats, the bricks through the windows? And I thought maybe I wouldn't. But as I'm reading this text, as I'm thinking through this, as I'm preparing this sermon, I would have because I'm in Christ. Christ would have helped me to survive this. He will help us survive this moment we're in. And the question is, why? How? If the, if the mission, if the witness is so costly, how will we do it? And it's because he sent his Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth, to be with us and to minister to us in this mission. And so next we see that the helper is with us in this costly mission. Jesus didn't put us on mission and say, go for it. He says, I'm with you. I will not leave you as orphans. You are adopted. When I go away, I will send you some help. Now, you parents in the room, especially you dads, you, you may be able to relate to this, but when Kim leaves the house, it's best for us not to tell the kids until 15 seconds before she walks out the door. Otherwise, they're going to cry the entire time that they know she's leaving. They're going to cling to her leg, and then it's going to be utter chaos in the home. But if we tell them 15 seconds before she leaves, she's already kissed them. She walks out the door. They ask where mommy's going. Oh, she's already gone. Then I can distract them. <laughs> the, the point is that the, wrong, the, the right words at the wrong time can cause chaos. They can cause an uproar. And, and what Jesus is saying to his disciples, I didn't say these things to you yet. I didn't say them from the beginning because I was with you. I didn't tell you these things because I knew that this would bring you deep sorrow. I knew that you would try to cling to me and not let go. I knew that you guys would want the kingdom to be on earth, and I knew I had to go somewhere else. So I didn't tell you these things until now. And then he says, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going, but because I've said to you these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He's told them now because now's the time. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to rise again and be exalted to the right hand of God. Now is the time for you to know what's going on. And, and they asked him, Peter and Thomas asked him, you know, where are you going? But the, the scholars don't think they actually meant what they were asking. Uh, perhaps Peter and Thomas were asking, you know, how are you actually going to go somewhere when the Bible says the Messiah, the, the Old Testament says the Messiah is going to reign? And rule, how are you going to go somewhere? Or that maybe they were asking like a kid, like, Dad, where are you going? You're supposed to be home. But the point is, they didn't ask with the intent of really knowing where Jesus was going. But now, none of them ask because they realize what's happening. He's going. He's not going to be here to rule and to reign and to shut things down and to rule the world as a Jewish kingdom. No, he's leaving. And now's the time for me to say these things to you. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
It is to your advantage that I go away. Those are some of the hardest words in Scripture for me to read. It is to your advantage that I go away. How? Why, Jesus? Why would it be to our advantage for you to not be physically here with us, loving us, discipling us, caring for us? It is for our good that Jesus goes away because if he did not go away, the helper would not have come to us. The Holy Spirit would not have come to us. And it seems like it just doesn't make sense. It seems like it doesn't add up. But Jesus says, if I go away, I will send him to you. There is intense sorrow with Jesus being gone, but the Holy Spirit brings immense joy. He brings us life. He brings us hope. He brings us help. When we read the book of Acts, we see why it was better for Jesus to go away because he sent the powerful Holy Spirit who would lead the rest of the way for the kingdom and the mission of God. Could you imagine the book of Acts without the Holy Spirit at work? Could you imagine what life would be like if the Spirit of God didn't come into our hearts, give us new life, prepare the soil for us to receive the gospel? Could you imagine what it would be like without the Holy Spirit? In order for Jesus to fulfill his mission, he had to go. He had to die. He had to rise again. He had to go. And he, he tells them, the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And as Jesus went, and as the Spirit came, prophecy began to be fulfilled. The Spirit began prophesying through sons and daughters And in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is starting to do what we see in the book of Ezekiel chapter 26 and 27, putting a new spirit in people so that they can love God. Give them new hearts so they can trust and believe. The Holy Spirit's work is so miraculous and so powerful that it is for our good. It is to our advantage that Jesus went away. And, and Jesus then lays out, what's the work of the Holy Spirit? He lays out the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. Look with me at verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world because of sin. Jesus told the Pharisees that they were in sin. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But they did not receive it. When he leaves, the Holy Spirit goes with us to convict people of their sin. When Jesus is gone, the Holy Spirit is the one who works through the word, through our preaching, through our message to convict people of sin. Have you ever noticed that you can't do it? Have you ever gotten frustrated because no matter how much you tell somebody they're wrong, they can't see it? And then all of a sudden, God does it. That's what the work of the Spirit looks like. You're not going to convince someone that abortion is bad on social media in your own strength. But the Holy Spirit can convince someone that ripping children from the womb is evil. That's not our job. It's his job. But he has called us to bear witness. But we need to pray and we need to trust and we need to rely on his power to convict the world of sin. He convicts the world of righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Why, why righteousness? That sounds strange. And Jesus says, because I go to the Father. But when Jesus went away, the Spirit convicts the world of their false righteousness. And when Jesus speaks of the world, 
He's talking about the religious elite, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They had a righteousness of their own. The apostle Paul was righteous and blameless according to the rules that the disciple, or sorry, the rules that the Pharisees had set up. But it was a false righteousness. We have that false legalistic righteousness flowing through our veins in this nation. You've got the religious false righteousness. If I just go to church and do enough, I'm good. But even the world, the, the secular worldview has a, a form of righteousness. The virtue signaling, you, you must say the right things. You must use the right jargon. You must go with what we say or you're evil and you're wrong. And the Holy Spirit is the only one who can convict the world about that false righteousness. And then concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of men. Satan has blinded people so that they don't know the truth of God. So when they make their judgments, their false judgments, and the Spirit must convict them of their false judgments. That's why people hate us. That's why people judge us and speak harshly about us when we disagree with their worldview because they're judging according to the flesh. And that's what Jesus told his disciples earlier in the Gospel of John. When you judge according to the flesh, you're wrong. We need the Word of God. We need the power of God. We need the Spirit of God to show us how to rightly judge and understand things. The world's form of justice is twisted and corrupt. We need God's biblical justice. And we're seeing this right now. We're seeing this with so many social issues, so many political issues, so many moral issues in our nation. The world needs to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to remember the world is in this building too. The church is full of both sheep and goats, wheat and tares. I was in church for a long time before I was out of the world and saved. So there may be people in here it may be some of you who need to hear and be convicted by the Holy Spirit. It's not just out there. The world can creep into the church. James says true religion is taking care of the orphans and the widows and keeping yourself unstained from the world. The only way we can keep ourselves unstained from the world and their view of sin, their view of righteousness, and their view of judgment is if we walk by the Holy Spirit. So church, we've got to be a people who walk by the Spirit so that we can see and trust and know he will do the convicting work and not us. In us and in the people around us. But not only does the Spirit work among, among the world, he actually works in and among us. Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Again, there are certain things and certain times and certain ways to say things that are right. And Jesus says, right now is not the time. You can't handle it. You, you would not be able to take what you need to hear. But verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So one of the other works or one of the other ways the Holy Spirit works is he brings us truth. He is the spirit of truth. He's not only the helper or the counselor, but he's also the spirit of truth. If we want to know truth, if we want to find truth, if we want to believe truth and live in light of truth and walk in light of truth, we must abide by the Holy Spirit. We must abide in Christ through the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, 
But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. All throughout the book of Acts, when the disciples needed the Holy Spirit to give them boldness, they were bold. When they needed to say what they needed to say, the Spirit gave them the right words. In the face of death, the Holy Spirit gave them the right words. Paul, after being stoned and they thought he was dead, he gets up and he walks on and he continues to preach the gospel. Why? Because the Spirit of truth had lit him on fire with the truth of the gospel so that he couldn't stop. We need the spirit of truth to declare the things that are true to us, to guide us in all truth. And through the apostles and through the work that he has done, we know what is to come. We know the future. We know that Jesus will return and that we will be okay. But we know there will be war in the heavens. We know that the world is against us. We know they will hate us. We know that we will be persecuted. Because the spirit of truth has shown it to us. But notice also what he does. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I was sitting down with a a young lady in Knoxville on the way home. Uh, She is sitting under some false teaching. She's dating a guy that's believing some false teaching. And I sat down with her and I said, listen, you hear what he's saying. You have your Bible. If it doesn't, glorify Jesus, throw it out. She was raised in a Christian home. She was taught Christian things in the ministry that Kim and I worked with. She says, I'm, I'm concerned some of this stuff doesn't sound right. And I said, listen to it. And if it doesn't point you to Jesus, get rid of it. Because any teaching that doesn't glorify Jesus, any teaching that glorifies race, class, ethnicity, Any of those things more than Jesus, it's bad. It's gone. Get rid of it. Jesus says you search the scriptures. He tells this to the Pharisees, thinking that in them you will find life. But it's the scriptures that testify about me. On the road to Emmaus, the risen Christ shared from Moses that it was about him. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, will take what is Jesus's and declare it to us, and it will bring glory to Jesus. If it doesn't point you to Jesus, throw it out. The Holy Spirit will declare what is right. He will take what is Jesus' truth. He will take the truth from the Father, and he will share it to us. He will declare it to us so we can believe it and take it to the world around us. And it happens through this book. It happens through regularly encountering God's word, God's truth in Scripture. When the world offers clever arguments for their viewpoints, for their perspectives, filter it through the word of God and ask, is this really what is is being taught? Let the world shape your foundations. Let the world, or sorry, let the word of God shape your foundation. Let the word of God be your worldview. Let the word of God disciple you and teach you and train you more than Fox News, CNN, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Let the Spirit lead you more than all the noise around us. Because right now it's noisy. It's noisy, and we need to tune it out and listen to the Spirit. So as we finish up, even in our suffering, the Spirit works through us and for us to tell the world about Jesus. And in light of Roe v. Wade being overturned in light of our cultural climate, 
We need to remember the work of the Spirit, and we need to pray for the world around us. We need to pray that the Spirit would convict the world of sin. The world tells us that removing babies from the womb and throwing them in a trash can is righteous. The Word of God tells us it's not. The world tells us that two men or two women should marry each other, and it's fine, it's all love. The Word of God tells us it is not. We need to pray that they would see sin as it is. There are more sins. There are sins we deal with. We need to ask the Lord to convict us of our sin. Then we need to pray that the Spirit would show them the righteousness of Christ. We need to see the righteousness of Christ. Because secular moral righteousness on the right and social moral righteousness on the left and everything in between is not enough. We are made righteous through Christ, and as we behold Christ, we will become like him. If we behold the world, we will become like the world. We need to pray that the Spirit will show us the true righteousness of Christ. And then we need to pray that he would help us and the world stop judging according to the flesh. Stop judging people based off their skin color, what they look like, what political stance they take. There are only two groups of people, those for Christ and those against him. We need to judge, not based off appearances, but we need to judge based off the word and based off the spirit. And then saints, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance what Jesus has told us so that as verse 16, 1 says, we will be kept from falling away. That as 16, 4 says, that we will remember that Jesus told us. We need to pray that we would remember. We need to pray that we would be guided into all truth. There is so much falsehood around us. There are so many dissenting points in the secular worldview. There are even Christians arguing against a biblical worldview. We need to ask the Spirit to guide us into all truth. And most importantly, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us glorify Jesus as the Spirit glorifies Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son. Jesus, thank you for sending the Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming. You are our helper. You are the Spirit of truth. Holy Spirit, keep us from falling away. Whether we are spat on, whether we are slandered, whether we are killed, keep us from falling away. Bring to remembrance the truths of John 15 and 16. Holy Spirit, please bring conviction to the world around us. Help the world around us to see the evils being perpetuated. Lead the church to not cause any little one to stumble. Help the world to see the evil of abortion, of taking children electively from the womb simply because it's uncomfortable or inconvenient. Holy Spirit, help the world to see true righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that can be put into their account in their stead that they may be pleasing to the Father. Help the culture around us Convict them, Holy Spirit, to pursue true righteousness. And Holy Spirit, convict them to make true judgments, not judgments based off of the flesh 
or worldly things, but judgment based off your word and your truth. Spirit of truth, please guide us into all truth. Help us to know what we need to know about Christ, about the gospel, about his glory, and help us to glorify Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need you. Grace Church needs you. Danville needs you. Kentucky needs you. The United States needs you. We need you, Holy Spirit. Please work powerfully among us just as you did in the disciples, in the apostles, in the book of Acts. Continue working in us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would prepare hearts, lead the way as we go to be hospitable witnesses in Danville, in Harrodsburg, in Stanford, in Lexington, wherever we work, live, and play. We trust you and we know that you are at work. Empower that work, Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name, amen.